Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Today, I'm joined by Shelley Weeks from Somerset, who lost her husband, Roy, to COVID-19 on the 11th of April this year. Roy was 73 years old. Welcome, Shelley. Hello, welcome. Thank you. So, yourself and Roy had a bit of an unconventional romance. Do you want to... Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we met 29 years ago. I was 18 at the time when we got together. I was 44. It was one of those situations where people said it will never last as an age gap. He's going through a a midlife crisis. And uh, then it was 30 years later and we were still going strong. Um, So you stuck together despite the... Through everything. We'd gone through so much. You know, we'd gone through the prejudice of people not believing we should be together and you know just saying well we're happy you know we found our soulmate this is it this is this is our life and, and we did you know and where we did you meet we actually met in um, badminton Roy used to be um a household carpenter for the duke of beaufort on the badminton estate and uh, i was a groom and we met there um, and what, what in a stable. was it very romantic <laughs> What was it that, um, what was the connection, do you think? He was just a charmer. Absolute charm. You know, good looking. We just clicked. Everything about us clicked. We just got on with, with everything. Um, obviously, being in a small village, we, we decided to, you know, up and go off on our separate way. And, and we ended up in Bristol. We moved to Bristol. And uh, Roy was site manager of a high school in Bristol. And then we, we got married in 1996, up in my hometown of Newcastle. We went to Newcastle to get married because that's where I'm originally from. And then in 2000, we welcomed our son into the world. Wonderful. Uh, Roy already had children from his first marriage. So I still have a 50-year-old stepson. So tell me what he was like, Roy was like as a, a, a person and as a husband and a dad. He was caring. He was a complete romantic. You know, birthdays and things. He, I'd come home from work. There'd be a bottle of champagne. There'd be flowers. He'd cook me meals. He was a very messy cook. <laughs> Good cook, but he used to leave a lot of mess behind. You know, we enjoyed loads of holidays. We had touring caravans. We had motorhomes. Loved to change his car about every year. He would, he would have a car and then get an urge for something different. You know, we toured all around Scotland in our motorhome. We enjoyed holidays abroad. We used to go to Portugal and, and Lanzarote and with our son and with family. And uh, and he he adored Charlie. I mean, he adored his first children, but I think with, with Charlie, because I think in his first marriage, he worked away from home a lot and he didn't see the children when they were little. But with Charlie, he was just there from day dot and absolutely idolised him. How old is Charlie now? Charlie's just turned 20. And... What is it that you miss about Roy on a daily basis? Absolutely everything. Everything. <gasps> he was um, 
Sorry. He was in a care home. I didn't a couple of years ago, Roy started to have trouble with his memory. And he'd forget things and, you know, tell silly little white lies because he couldn't remember. And he used to get over it. You know, I was, I was still working. Roy had retired. And that's when we moved to Somerset. And um, last year in 2019, we decided to go to Lanzarote for a week, just myself and Roy, because Charlie was older. And um, we flew out there on Valentine's Day. And five hours into our holiday, collapsed in the room, we'd had a stroke. Oh, my word. Uh, so we were stuck over there for oof, 18 days in the end. He had to be airlifted to another hospital to have a stent put in his neck. But... Um, he got over it. Um, you know, we managed to, he, he flew back on a proper aeroplane. You know, we came back home. We took him to see the doctor and he said, you know, he's recovered fab. He didn't have any, any muscle weakness or anything like that you get from a stroke. But sadly, about, this was about two months after that, his memory really, the dementia just kicked in and he was diagnosed with vascular dementia. So, um, he used to get water infections quite a bit. And when he got a water infection, he would then collapse and end up in hospital. Once again, he'd just fight through everything. You know, so bar the, the, the couple of other things, but the, the memory was getting to the stage because I was working, it, it was getting unsafe to leave Roy at home on his own. And after a spell in hospital, uh, at the end of June last year, I was in the hospital and then they came around and said, right, you know, we're thinking of discharging Roy. And I just burst into tears and broke down and said, I, I don't know what to do. And I was given an admiral nurse that you've heard of admiral nurses who, who look yeah. after dementia um, carers. And uh, she was absolutely amazing. They helped get Roy into, he went into a, a care home close to home in Burnham, but he'd had a couple of operations for an abscess that he'd developed. So um, he, he went in there because of his memory problems. But seven weeks in, I mean, it was, it was just residential. But seven weeks in, and he kept ending up in back in hospital because, you know, he wasn't being looked after properly. And I just cried. And I said, I can't do this. You know, it was heartbreaking anyhow, leaving him every single time I went in there because we've just been together forever. We've never done anything apart. And it was just heartbreaking. So I gave up my job that I had at the time. I used to be a school cook. And I brought him home. And uh, that worked for a couple of months. And then sadly, he took another, they, they think he may have had another mini stroke or his, his dementia took a dip to where it wasn't safe for me to look after him. You know, it wasn't, he, we were in a first floor flat. It was, although he was mobile, um, because his memory had got so bad, uh, he was taken to an assessment unit uh, and assessed for different medication for his dementia to see what, what could help him. And, and he got on really well in there. Um, I used to go in there four or five times a week. I'd take him out in the car. I used to take him to, to the local pub. I'd take him out for lunch. You know, people in the pubs I used to go in had got used to him. And he still had his sense of humour, his, his, his laughs. He would sing in the car. What would um, he sing? Oh, he liked Roy Orbison, Elvis, all the country music. I was even looking to change my car because he had a thing in the car where he liked to hold my hand. And as I'm trying to change gear, he would constantly reach for my hands and just sit and stroke my hand constantly in the car. He just loved, he was still happy, he was still mobile. I'd take him for a walk around the garden centre for lunch and then, and then take him back and that fell into a little system. And then they, they decided that he needed to move into dementia care, into nursing dementia care. 
so that they could, you know, keep an eye on it. So he had type 2 diabetes, which was just diet controlled. I mean, he'd had it for years and years. And every time he went for his tests, they used to say, yeah, no, he's fine. His, his diet's fine and, and there's no problems. He also had AF, which was a low heart rate. And actually, the last time he, he moved into his care home, around about the 10th of January, once again, I'd still go in, take him out for lunch, you know, take him out in the car, spend time with him, have lunch there with him. And the last time I saw him, I took him to the hospital for a checkup because they, what they were going, because he was so fit and healthy otherwise, they decided that, I mean, he was 72 at the time, they decided that a pacemaker would enhance things for him even further. So we had an appointment with a consultant and he had an ECG and they said, yeah, we'll pop him on the list for a pacemaker. You know, everything else is fine. It will enhance, you know, his life. He's only 72, which he was at the time. And we, he was on the waiting list for that. And that was Thursday, the 12th of March. Um, so, so you'd been on quite a journey with him then in that oh, time. Oh, a huge journey. But, you know, through everything, he fought through because that was Roy. He was... Nothing would ever sort of knock him down to the point where he wouldn't get back up again and, and, and fight things. You know, even in the care home, when I, when I took him for this hospital appointment, you know, he, he was walking, he got in and out of the car fine. I took him for a, a, a drink afterwards and a sandwich in a pub before I took him back to the care home because uh, he'd missed tea time. And although sometimes he'd forget my name, but he always knew who I was. His, his face would just light up when I went in the room. He had a little whiteboard in there and I'd write on there, Shelley will be in on Monday. She's taking you out in the car. She's taking you for lunch. And he constantly asked the care staff, you know, is it that day yet? Is Shelley coming today? And you know, even though it was a sort of 35, 40 minute drive, I'd still go three, four times a week because he was just my life, you know. And that, and that last time I, I saw him was the 12th of March. And I was due to take him out on the Monday, which everything, you know, we knew COVID was happening. And I thought I just need to ring the home to check that it's still okay and they said then no, we're locked down you, you can't come in nobody can come in and I said somebody needs to get into his room and, and, and wipe that board clean because he's going to be so stressed out because I, I'm not able to get in there because um, he'd wander the home looking for me he'd just wander the corridors trying the doors waiting for me to come you know when I turn up in the car park he'd be looking out the window and he'd wave at the window and we were just everything to each other even even though he had the dementia you know we're still soulmates. So tell me what happened. On the 6th of April, I had, well, before that, I didn't have a lot of contact. I wasn't offered any, any phone calls with Roy until round about the 28th of March. And one of the carers who I'd got to know messaged me. She'd sent me little pictures that Roy had done. And she said to me, I'm going to get him to the, the treatment room and, and get him to phone you. Will you be in? So I managed to have a couple of phone calls with him on about the 27th of March. I had a, I rang up to see how he was and um, was told that he had a, um, an infection and they thought it was to do with his abscess and the doctor had put him on some antibiotics because his temperature was slightly high. And I said, well, has the doctor been to see him? No, they know it's the abscess. They've put him on antibiotics. He's fine. Then I, rang obviously a few days later they said no he hasn't got a temperature you know he's still wandering the home he, he, he's fine don't worry on the 6th of april it was our 24th wedding anniversary so i'd had roy a cushion made with with our picture on and, and love you forever on there and i posted that to him 
So we had that on our wedding anniversary. And then the 8th of April was his 73rd birthday. And I had a memory blanket made for him um, with pictures of us and the, our son as a baby and the dogs and, and posted that over. And I'd managed to have a cake made for him for his birthday. And uh, I finished work at 2. And I thought, well, I'll ring up to speak to him. And I phoned up and they said, um, you, you can't speak to him. Um, he's not very well. He's, he's got a temperature of 38.9 and he's in bed. And I said, well, have you called the doctor? What, you know, nobody's rang me. What's, what's happening? And she said, we've called the doctor, ring back in an hour. So I called them back because nobody called me. And she just said, doctor says he's got a chest infection. She's giving him antibiotics. I said, well, he's only just finished one lot. Has he got a cough or anything? No, no, no. They think it's his abscess again. He's fine now. He's in the day room. His temperature's gone down a bit. So I said, okay. I said, well, you know, is, is he up? No, no, no. He's, he's still in bed. And this was on his birthday. And um, the following day, I, I phoned up again. And she said, yeah, he's much better. He's wandering the corridors. He's in the day room. He's fine. I said, has the doctor been out to actually see him, to assess him? No, the doctor won't come in at the moment. We just did it via phone call. She said he has a chest infection. So I did. that was on the 9th. On the 11th of April, I just finished work at two and my phone rang and it was the carer, the only one who'd let me know how he was throughout this time. And she said, you need to get here. She said, Royce collapsed in his, collapsed in his room. Daddy's really unwell. So I, I got in the car and somehow managed to, because I had to go on a motorway. And when I got there, there was two ambulances in the car park. And the, the paramedics were in the full protective suits. And uh, Roy was still in the back of the ambulance with an oxygen mask on. And he was, he was pretty out of it. And the, one of the paramedics said to me, is, how long has he been ill? And I said, I've not seen him. Not seen him for nearly a month. And with that, a woman appeared around the corner who I'd, I'd, I'd never met before. I only found out after Roy passed away. She was actually the care home manager. And she said to me, oh, somebody called me. I was in Sainsbury. She said, there was nothing wrong with him this morning. He was wandering the corridors as normal. I said, is anybody else in that home ill? And she said, well, we've got a few with chest infections. And the paramedic just shook his head. And um, he said, obviously, we, you can't come with us. And they were saying to him that you, your wife's here. And I was just in such a state. And um, he was so bad. They left one ambulance in the car park. And three of them travelled in the ambulance with him. So um, I got myself together and got back in the car and, and, and drove home. And as I pulled into my driveway, my phone rang and it was the consultant. And he said, um, you need to come in. He said, he's really, really poorly. And I said, are you telling me he's going to die? And he said, I think so. Oh, how awful. So I got out of the car and I just collapsed in my car park and my neighbour came out. And she said, you can't drive. She said, I'm going to take you out there. So she drove me out to the hospital and um, there was a nurse at the, at the door. She said, you can't come in. I said, look, the consultants phoned me. She went in to get him and he came out and he brought me gloves and a mask and an apron. And uh, he was still in the A&E department at the time. And I went in there and he had a, an oxygen mask on and there was just mucus pouring out of his nose, which was coming up from his lungs. And um, he had a pink heart in his hand. That they've been given. And uh, I've still got the other one. I held it for three weeks. I just didn't put it down. And uh, 
they took him for a, a chest. They did the COVID test while I was there. And she said, we're going to take him for a chest x-ray. And then we're going to take him to a ward. She said, you can come up to the ward for a, for a little while. She said, but we can't let you stay long. She said, you can, you can stay till 8 o'clock. I think it was about probably five, half past at this time. And uh, he went for his x-ray and we went up, up to a ward, which was all separate rooms. And uh, I stayed with him and he, he never opened his eyes. He never, I don't know if he knew I was there or not. I hope he did. And um, when I went to leave, I did just taken his, his blood pressure. And I looked at the machine as I was walking out the door. And I think it, his blood pressure was something like 82 over 41. And I thought, um, you know, he's not going to make it. And when I came out, I bumped into the consultant. And he said to me, the chest x-ray shows, he said, I am 99% sure it's COVID. So he said, you need to isolate for two weeks. My neighbour, bless her, picked me up again and brought me home. And at 10 o'clock, I just... I picked my mobile up to ring the hospital to see how he was, and as I went to pick it up, it rang, and it was um, it was the consultant said that he just died. Oh, so within yeah. eight hours, he was gone. My words, so painful. And when I saw him, he'd lost so much weight in the month I hadn't seen him, because I used to take him out and and have lunch with him and everything. And, and I was just so angry, you know, as, as well as being bereaved, I was angry. It was, East, it was Easter weekend, so I had to ring the bereavement office at the hospital on the Tuesday. They confirmed that it was positive COVID. That's what he died from. That's what on his death, what's on his death certificate. So I called the care home because nobody had even rang me to see how he was and said that Roy had passed away. And I told them it was positive COVID. And I said, why, you know, what happened? Where did he get it from? You know, did you take people in from hospital? Um, I've requested his care notes. They've been refused. They've On refused to tell me if they took people from hospital. On the grounds that I didn't have a power of attorney, even though I'm his wife. They're refusing to give me the care home notes. When I put in a complaint, because the, the lady that I'd been speaking to said that mistakes were made, that things weren't done right. She's actually just left there. So I'm hoping to find out from her whether or not they took anybody from hospital into that care home because I don't know how he got it. You know, people weren't allowed in there. And the complaint that I put in, I got sent back a report full of lies saying that he'd been locked in his room for two weeks, saying that he'd been isolated in a corridor. Yet even on the day he was in the back of the ambulance, the actual manager said to me he was wandering the corridors this morning. They then tried to tell me that he'd been locked and isolated in an area, which I know isn't true. So I'm still, I got in touch with my MP and my MP is going to the council and the CQC. Then a few weeks ago, on the, um, on the Tuesday after Roy passed away, I actually received in the post from the care home, some photographs of Roy taken on his birthday. And it, there was a letter in there and it said, as you can see, Roy had a lovely birthday. Well, he didn't because he was in bed and his temperature was through the roof. And on the photos, I could see the tears in his eyes. Oh, that's, that's awful. Where he was obviously so unwell. How do you feel about the fact that they sent those photos and what they said? I was so angry. I mean, I know 
they didn't know he was going to die when they sent them, but it just felt so insensitive. You know, and he didn't have it. Why lie and say he had a lovely birthday? I know he was ill. They knew he was ill. You know, they knew he'd spent most of the day in bed. So why, why put that? Why put someone through, you know, who can't see their loved one through even more distress? Then about four weeks ago, I received a letter from them. Um, now, Roy was on fully funded care. And I received a bill for chiropody treatment. And on the bill, the first date that they said he had treatment, there was a bill for £32, which, I mean, I'd never agreed to chiropody treatment. I cut Roy's toenail since the day we got together and still used to in his other care home. But the first date that was on the bill, he wasn't even at the home. It was something like the 10th of January and he never moved there till the 12th. And the second day was during lockdown. So I got straight on the phone to the head office of the care homes lost it, put in another complaint. I said, I need to put in another complaint. You need to put me to somebody higher. You know, you're now telling me that somebody went in and cut toenails who was going around all different care homes during lockdown. I never heard anything for a week. So I got back on the phone again. And about an hour later, the, the manager of the, the care home who I'd met for the first time outside, she said to me, before we go any further, it was an admin error. She said, the dates were wrong. She said, I, I've, I've put another letter in the post. She said, I'm now not going to ask you to pay the bill because you didn't agree to the treatment. She said, that's our fault. She said, and in the post, I've put you a list of all chiropody treatments that we've had and obviously taken out people's names due to data protection. What she sent me was a joke. It had been thrown together on a computer by a child. I still have it. They'd thrown it together so quick. It showed one day in October this year. Now, I work in a care home, and I know that a chiropodist visits every four to six weeks. It showed that she'd gone in there to do one person on a Saturday, where they'd just pulled dates out of thin air, um, another one on a Sunday. It showed a date in March where she supposedly carried out 18 treatments in one day. Bearing in mind, chiropody treatments takes half an hour to an hour per person. And it's just a complete false document. I got back on the phone again, and they've refused to even look at it. I said, do you have a copy of what I've actually been sent from the care home? And she said, oh, it will be on file somewhere. I said, are you going to now put me through to somebody? I said, and I have threatened to give this document over to the press because anybody looking at it can see that to cover up a lie, they've created another lie, which is just unbelievable. Can so I at the moment, you? I'm waiting to see. Sorry. No, go on. At the moment, I'm waiting to see if I hear anything back because my MP said he would take these things to the CQC and the council, and I've sent him copies of those documents. Okay. And I thought for now, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I've not named and shamed them yet, but there are so many mistakes. The, the care home staff weren't even told that Roy had died from COVID. I actually had a message three days after he passed away saying, are they going to do a post-mortem to find out what happened? And I said, are you trying to tell me you don't know you've had a positive COVID case? This lady was so frightened. She was actually saying to me, can we, can we text instead of message? Because they're, they, they're checking our phones. I'd get in trouble if they knew I was talking to you. And this lady's now left. Okay. Can I take you back to when you saw Roy in the ambulance? Yeah. Um, did he know you were there? Were you able to speak to him or I, touch him? I don't think so. He was, wasn't able to touch him in the ambulance. I was in the hospital. How do you feel about the fact that you weren't able to have a, a goodbye? From other stories I've read and other people I've spoken to, in that respect, I'm one of the lucky ones that I did get to see him. 
I wish I'd been there when he actually passed away. But at least I got a lot more than a lot of other people. I couldn't fault the hospital. The hospital were amazing. The consultant was amazing. The staff were fantastic. Their procedures were good. I There's nothing I could say bad about the hospital, the ambulance staff. You know, they were all fantastic. And, and once again, he was taken to hospital. You know, I know a lot of people after calls, many people just died in care homes in their rooms. You know, at least he got to go that one step you know, where they, they, they could have tried, but his lungs were just full of fluid. There was nothing they could have done for him. And I knew that just by looking at him. I've never, I still see it. It haunts me. I see that picture of him every night. You know, I, I relive that Saturday between 2 and 10 every Saturday. And I think I always will. Were you able to give him a funeral? I had to isolate for two weeks, obviously because I'd, been at the hospital with Roy and it was confirmed I rang my local funeral directors and they were another bunch of people who were fantastic because I said to them I said you're not going to let me see him are you I'm not going to get to and he said we are he said if you want to see him in the chapel of rest then then that's fine I arranged the funeral over the phone they came and picked up the paperwork they came and picked up a suit for Roy they then opened up on the Sunday for me because I had his funeral on the Monday after my isolation finished and they went in there, especially on the Sunday, and opened up for me. And I was I was able to, to spend time with him. I held his hand. They didn't ask me to wear PPE. You know, I think the incubation period from then, you know, there was no way COVID, I assume, was going to survive that. I, I think it was different things in different areas because, once again, I know many people didn't get to see their loved ones and don't even know who was in that coffin. I, I, I do. I did get that. I put letters in. The little knitted heart. I tucked into his, his, his jacket by his heart. Um, I put some flowers in there, put pictures of our son, of our dogs, you know, and I spent over half an hour with him. I kissed his forehead. I, you know, I got that. But the funeral was 10 people, 10 people spaced out in the crematorium, which was really hard. Oh, obviously, I was able to sit with my son because we lived together. And it, it was a lovely service, but once again, organised you know, via email, over the phone. Not what I would have wanted for Roy at all. You know, he had many, many friends. He was such a character. So, yeah, that was, that was hard, but I'm, I'm glad I got to see him. But it still doesn't, it just doesn't take it away. It's, uh, it's like a different sort of grief. I mean, I lost my mum last year, and this just seems a different type of grief because it shouldn't have happened. He should still be here. You know, whether or not, I don't know if people were put in there from hospital. That's something I'm hoping to find out. I'm hoping to see his care notes. And I won't rest until I get some answers. You know, they did things wrong. They, they had procedures wrong. When my, my husband's son from his first marriage went to collect his belongings for me um, from the care home, they'd all been dumped in black bags in the doorway. All of his stuff, there was no, no respect over it. I got no phone calls from the management to say how sorry they were. Or, and when he got there, they put a note on the door. And it was dated the day that Roy was ill, the day of his birthday. Either the day of his birthday or the day after, I, I still have it. And he photographed it for me. And it was something along the lines of, at the moment, some of our residents are experiencing flu-like symptoms. So if you're going to visit or are pregnant, can you please call beforehand and we can discuss it? And that was signed by the manager. And when I brought this up with my complaint, she actually tried to tell me that was a government document. Right. 
which <laughs> was completely untrue again. I just feel like I've been, I feel like they're hiding something. And I've just been lied to. And he was, he's been let down. You know, 73 these days isn't old. You know, yeah, he had memory problems. and But, you know, if he was that, if it was that bad and not worth saving, they wouldn't have offered to, to, to do a pacemaker. They wouldn't bother with somebody like that to do an operation to enhance their life if they thought, what's the point? In terms of what you've gone through, what's the, the one thing that you wish people understood? That COVID's real. That it's out there and that it can take you quick. And that anybody can get it. You know, I see people now in, in, in shops wandering around without their face masks and having these group gatherings and, you know, people saying, oh, it's just the flu, it's, it's, it's not real. It's real. You know, I saw it. Roy was, Roy was fine. You know, four weeks before he died, I had him out in the car. He was singing in the car. I'd taken him for lunch. And within eight hours, he'd collapsed and he died. And his lungs were a mess. Who do you blame? I blame the government for not locking down sooner because they knew about this. You know, they knew about this end of December, January. It was happening in other countries and it was always going to come our way. They still allowed anybody to come into the country. Nobody was checked. Nobody was tested. I blame the government for moving the people out of hospitals into care homes. Like I said, I don't know if that happened in my case, but I intend to find out. I blame the care home for their lack of following procedures properly because once again I know that you know mistakes were made in there and they need to be held accountable couldn't get hold of PPE but they're a private company this 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 care company that I was with you know they're taking 1300 pounds a week from people to look after them and they were just lambs to the slaughter there was no protective ring they were just forgotten about they're older people, it's fine. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure within about two days of Roy passing away, there was probably somebody else in his room, somebody else taken in from a hospital. Okay, Shelley, thank you very much for, um, for sharing that with us and going into the detail. I know that it's, it's not easy for you, so thank you. You're welcome.